Landon just kind of came out after that, you know, and, and I was thinking about it and I was thinking about how when a, a child is born, it's incredible how they just sort of come out and they're like, hey, I did it. You know, like I arrived, I made it and, and I did my job like here I am. And they have no idea that there's all this backstory, you know, um, they don't know. Like you think of Cade, um, our firstborn, he doesn't know that, you know, we, we prayed for years like, God, when's the right time to have our first child? So it was all that prayer that went into it, right? Then Kelly got pregnant, and she was literally, it's like she threw up for nine months, okay? She was in the hospital with a gallbladder issue for 11 days. Um, we built a new room for him. We painted the room. We got a crib. His grandparents bought us a crib and furniture. We got it put together. We had everything set up, right? Then Kelly goes into this, in another hospital and, you know, goes into labor, and the whole thing's happening here, and he just kind of pops out, and he's like, here I am. And he's like, I did it, you know? And here he, he, he has missed out on the fact that, man, there is all this backstory. There's, there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes that he doesn't realize happened before any of this happened. Oh, he, just, he just knows he's alive now, you know, and it's like, cool, I'm alive. I, I guess that's a good thing. And he doesn't realize, man, so much has gone into him actually becoming alive. And the same is true with us, guys. So often we think, hey, I'm saved. I did it. You know, like I, I prayed that prayer or I, you know, I believed and, and man, I'm saved now. How cool is that? I did it. And we don't realize God's just looking at us like we look at our kids going, there's so much backstory that you don't get. There's so, there's so much that went on behind the scenes, things that I, God's saying, things that I did to make salvation possible that you don't even think about, that you don't ever understand or really think about and get. And so I want to take the next several weeks and talk about those things that God has done to save us. Because again, when you think of, yeah, I became a Christian, you, you think of a day when you were maybe here at a church or a friend talked with you about God and then you prayed and it was like, you open your eyes like, now I'm saved. But I want to let you know, guys, over the next several weeks that there are several things. There's actually 10 things. We're not going to take 10 weeks to do this. But, but literally there are, are 10 huge things that God did in the background, behind the scenes, to make salvation possible for every one of us, even in the first place. Now, I want to talk about this because I think it's really important that we do. Because just like my, my wife and I, sometimes we'll sit our kids down and bore them with all the details. You know, it's usually when they're, they're kind of like a little bit arrogant or, or kind of feeling a little bit entitled. We'll kind of see, also, you know, your mother was in the hospital for 11, 11 days with a gallbladder issue. You know how many times she threw up, you know, and, and Kate's like, dude, I'm sorry, I'll turn the TV off. You know, I mean, I just like explode on with all this backstory, you know. But, but it, what, what are we trying to do with our kids? We're trying to help them appreciate what went into it. We're trying to help them understand, you know. I mean, if one of my kids ever says something to my wife, you know, in a nasty way or whatever, you know, it's like, hey, she carried you. For nine months, right? I got fatter, but she carried you, okay? I don't know how that works, like sympathy fat or something, you know? But here we are, and the same is true of us. We're, we're kind of not appreciating so much. I don't know about, you know, salvation. We're, we're, we're kind of just like, yeah, I got saved, and what a cool thing, and I prayed that prayer. And I just want you to see over the next several weeks leading up to Christmas, all that God has done in the background to make this possible. Just honestly, I want you to know how helpless you and I were. Just like my little son Landon. What did he really do to get born? You know, what did Kate do? What did Bryn do to get born? It, it was all stuff that went on behind the scenes. It was all stuff in the background. And that's the stuff 
I want to talk with you guys about for these next several weeks. And I think it'll just make us appreciate God. I think it'll make us appreciate that we're saved. And if you're not saved, I hope by the end of this series, the end of these six weeks, you will say, I, I want to know him. Maybe by the end of this night, you'll, you'll say, I want to know Jesus. I want a relationship with him. And so we got to start at the beginning tonight. And I think I might have everyone's attention for the remainder of the period tonight. Because we have to start right at the beginning. And there is a centuries-old debate that we're going to talk about tonight. There's been a theological war going on for hundreds of years about what we're going to talk about tonight. That sounded pretty epic, didn't it? Yeah, that was good, yeah. So for hundreds of years, seriously, people have been arguing. Christians have been arguing. It's, It's split churches. It's broken friendships. It's unbelievable what's happened because of what we're going to talk about tonight. And my prayer, and I'm going to tell you a few reasons why, tonight is that rather than be broken apart by it or driven apart by it, it'll it'll unify us. And and even if we disagree at the end of the night, that we'll be able to say, all right, but we're going to keep on moving forward together because it's okay that we disagree sometimes. And so tonight I want to talk with you about free will and election. Because here we are talking about salvation. We're talking about, man, what goes into it? I mean, do we choose God or does he choose us? And so up front, I just want to give you some definitions. Um, the first one is election, okay? And it's kind of long, so just hang in there and be up on the screen. And this is the definition for election. It's an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. This also means that he passes over some people in sorrow, deciding not to save them, and to punish them for their sins, to show his justice. That's a tough thing to swallow. I'm not going to say anything here tonight is, is easy to swallow. But that doesn't make it not true. And so, I want to kind of walk through this with you. And, and I want to just mention some names, some guys who believe this. Some men of God who believe that election is true. Um, John Piper, um, Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll, um, several of these guys. Uh, Wayne Grudem, if you, re- if you have the ESV version... Then he like translated that Bible out of the Greek and Hebrew for you. Okay, so thanks, Wayne. All right, so um, these are some guys who believe that God has chosen those that are saved. That it's not left up to man's choice. It's left up to God's desire. Okay, and so some incredible men of God, some awesome guys, some guys who really know the word of God and love the word of God. And then there's the other side. There's the free will side. Let me give you a definition for free will. It's that man is totally able to accept or reject salvation based upon some quality or ability within him. So man can just decide, like, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the next guy can say, I see the same Jesus you see. I see the same God you see. And yet I'm going to choose not to follow him. And guys, I got to tell you, I'm just going to be 100% honest with you tonight. There are some great men of God who believe that that's the absolute truth. C.S. Lewis. Incredible man of God, believes that. Billy Graham, I mean, the most famous evangelist ever. I mean, maybe besides Paul, right? But I mean, certainly the most famous evangelist in the last century believes that we choose if we get to follow God or not, right? Um, Robbie Zacharias, some of you guys know who he is. He's like this brilliant guy. I mean, he literally goes around to secular universities and basically goes up on a stage and says, ask me any question you want about God. And then he just schools everybody, okay? So the guy's ridiculous. He's amazing. And he believes this. And so here's what I would, I would love for you to see. I would love for you to see that there are great men and women of God on both sides of this equation 
And yet I feel like now's the time that we talk about this, that I actually spill the beans about what I believe about this. I've been preaching for 15 years and I've never preached a message on this. I've, I've talked about it and there's several reasons why I haven't ever really given an answer. And the reason, first off, the biggest one, is that as I read through scripture, it was always presented as one or the other. Uh, I'm sorry, let me say that backwards. Uh, as I read through scripture, I saw that it would say sometimes there were verses that seemed to support free will. Sometimes there are verses that su- seem to support election. And it was always taught to me as one or the other. It's either free will or it's election. Either you choose God or he chooses you. And there's no mixing of those. That, you know, they don't work together. It's just one or the other. They're separate spheres, right? And so that's one reason I never talked about it because I really struggled with that. And I, and I would see the verses that seem to support it, free will, and I'd see the verses that seem to support election. And I, I'm not going to preach something that I'm not convicted of or convinced of. And so I just kind of stood back and, and said, all right, well, we'll see where, you know, in my next several years of prayer and study and talking with people smarter than me goes, you know. And a bigger reason, though, I, maybe not a bigger reason, but another reason I also didn't bring it up is because, like I said earlier, people get crazy when you bring up this subject. It, like I said, it's, it's split churches. It's split friendships. It's done incredible damage over the last several hundred years because people get really emotional about it. People get, I would say, more upset about this topic than even, I mean, you could talk about money easier, sex easier. I mean, this thing just seems to get people going, gets their blood boiling. And my hope and my prayer is, again, if you disagree with what I say tonight, that this won't be the last time I see you. Because I'm just doing my best with this. I'm not claiming that I am the inerrant word of God. This is the inerrant word of God, and we're all doing our best to understand it. And one example of of this is our church staff. Like the guys who work on staff with me here at the church, they don't all believe like I believe. They don't believe the things that I'm going to say tonight. Some of them disagree with some of it. And I want you to see that there's room for that and that we push through it and we work together and we're still on the same team trying to reach people for Jesus. Okay? And so if you disagree with what we're talking about tonight, this is not a make it or break it issue. And I think Satan has blown it up to be this insane thing that's destroyed a lot of what God wants to do as far as unifying his people. So I hope that you catch that. Um, I think this should be our, our attitude. There are these two famous guys, George Mueller and John Wesley. George Mueller believed in election, believed in predestination, that God chooses. John Wesley believed that you have a choice, that you choose God, okay? And these two guys would argue about this all the time. They would fight. They would argue about election and free will all the time. And you know what? One day, somebody went up to George Mueller and said, will you see... I mean, this is real arrogant, honestly. This is the kind of stuff that that I think is terrible. Went up to George Mueller and said, will you see John Wesley in heaven? Almost like, well, since he doesn't believe in election, will he even be in heaven? Is he even really saved? And George Mueller's answer was incredible. He said, I won't see him in heaven. And the reason I won't see him in heaven is because he'll be so close to the throne of God that I won't even be able to get a glimpse of him. What was, this, what was he saying? He's saying, yeah, I disagree with what he believes about free will, and he disagrees with me about what I believe about election. But I'll tell you what, we both are passionate in love with Jesus, and I can see his love is so huge that I only wish I loved God as much as he does. That's the attitude. That's the heart I think we got to have and not let the enemy try and divide us. So I just want to say that regardless of what I believe, both sides influence me. 
people who believe both sides influence me. There have been few people on planet Earth who have influenced me as much as John Piper, and he's like hardcore election. I mean, I, I, if you want your, your, your brain to spontaneously combust, I dare you to read this book called The Justification of God. It will blow your mind. He, he literally just writes paragraphs of Greek and doesn't even translate it for you. He just like writes like in a, a lunatic. He just like went crazy. But it's all about how God is just to do whatever he wants. And it's all about Romans 9 and, and all this stuff. He just goes for it, okay? But then on the other side of the equation, there's few people that have influenced me as much as C.S. Lewis too. A brilliant guy who believes in free will. And so I think that we have to be willing to say, okay, we disagree, but we're all on the same team. We're going to keep on moving forward. You know, I mean, even my, my, my greatest 80s metal Christian band, Striper. I mean, those are my boys right there. Some would say they look more like girls, but those are my boys right there, right? And then you should see some of their lyrics, all right? They're, they're kind of controversial with this kind of stuff, okay? And so my history growing up with this was I thought that free will was it, and I thought election was heresy. I, I thought it was of the devil. I thought it was absolutely wrong. I remember um, I hadn't really heard much about it until I got to college, and I don't know if it was just in my world, but it kind of felt like the time I went to college, right around 1996 or so, um, this topic just like blew up. Like everyone was talking about it all of a sudden. And here I was in college. I remember the first time sitting in Bible doctrines class at Nia College hearing this. I remember getting so angry. I remember thinking, what are you talking about? God chooses some and passes over others. And, and I, I would lay awake literally at night in my dorm room and I would have arguments with my professors in my mind. I put them all in their place, man. I was brilliant in those arguments, okay? And I would go on and on and it, it was breathtaking, really. Um, but you know what? Fast forward, you know, 10 years to 2006. I'm still wrestling with these same questions. Still struggling. Still, you know, not sure, but... But maybe about 10 years out, something dawned on me that was so important. And I hope this will dawn on you. And even if you leave here tonight disagreeing with my view on this, I hope that it will ignite something in you. Because what I realized as I, as I was you know, kind of looking through all this is I realized that it doesn't really matter what I think God would or wouldn't do. Like that's not the issue. The, the issue is what the Bible says he does. And this is the, the biggest thing I had to come to terms with. That I can sit around all day and say, a loving God wouldn't do that. You know, that, that's my understanding of a loving God. I mean, the stuff we're talking about tonight, guys, is like an ant trying to figure out like how humans work. And then multiply that by like a billion is us trying to figure out how God does stuff. I mean, imagine an ant just watching you for a day. Like, what the heck's his problem? He's like, you know, he's angry here. He's kind there. Well, why, is he, why is he doing this at the TV with a remote? Like, well, what, you know what I mean? Just like, what's going on? Okay. And so here we are trying to understand God. I mean, the Bible even says we see dimly now, but we'll see fully then, you know? Like, there's going to be a day we're going to get this. We're going to be in heaven one day, and it's going to be like, oh, you know, it's just going to all click. We're just doing our best with what we have here and what God has given us and has revealed to us, okay? So I'm sitting there realizing something really important, that most of the time as we have these discussions about free will and election, I just want you to think about your own experience. Usually, if you think about it, the arguments people have are philosophical, but not scriptural. You guys see the difference? Like often we sit and we, we and, and philosophy is awesome. It's great. I wish I was a better philosopher, you know, but not that I am one at all, but I, I, I wish I was even smarter. I wish I had more studies that way. It interests me. I love it. I love Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis who are both brilliant that way. I love talking with Brandon and Matt and all these crazy guys who are brilliant that way. But you know what? We have to make sure, I'm not calling Brandon or Matt out because I think you guys uh, you know, right online with scripture. But we have to be really careful that 
our philosophy always bows to Scripture. You know, because if you think about it, if we sit around and philosophize all day, we'll, we'll, we'll philosophize Jesus right back into the grave because the dead man, after all, can't raise back to life, right? And so we could sit around all day and say, oh, that's impossible, it's impossible. Okay, well then, we have no Christianity anymore. And so philosophy's always got to bow to Scripture. Scripture's always got to be able to say and have the final word. And so what do we do? Right? Because as we're going to see in a minute, Scripture shows both sides. So what do we do? Well, we need to see how free will and election work together. We need to see how free will and election work together. Okay? And I'm going to try to take you through this the best I can. I'm sorry if this is confusing at all. I'm doing my best to make it simple and clear. And I would love to talk with anybody who has questions. There's smarter people than me in the room that may be able to answer them even better than me. Maybe I'll point you to Brendan and Matt later. But um, let's check out a few things when it comes to this. Um, Wayne Grudem, the guy who translated the ESV, said this. He says, the New Testament does not present this as a philosophical puzzle. Like the New Testament doesn't look at this issue of free will and election and try to say, ooh, it can't be this or it can't be that. It just simply, without apologizing for it, shows both sides of it. It shows examples of free will and examples of election. Jesus does this. Let's, let's look at a few examples. Freedom of choice, okay, or free will, right? First one, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? I mean, if you've been to a football game or watched one on TV, you've seen that verse, right? Some guy holding that uh, big, a big you know, thing in the crowd there. And what is this? I mean, th- this is showing us that we've got to choose, right? We've got to do something. We've got to believe. And so it's on our shoulders, it looks like, from this verse, right? Then we can look at Jesus' words that seem to contradict that and the election side here is John fifteen sixteen. Jesus says very clearly, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. It's like, what do we do with this? How, how do we get anywhere? I mean, Jesus himself seems to be contradicting himself here. He seems to be saying two completely different things, that you have to believe, and yet I chose you. You didn't choose me. And so does this all work together? Does the Bible make sense? Like, how can this be clear? Well, let me try and show you how this works. I'm going to try to walk us through a story here. And it's a parable, okay? It's a story that Jesus told like an illustration. He's trying to teach a biblical truth through plain language, okay? So he tells this story in Matthew 22, and here's what he says. He says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Those who have been invited that I have uh, prepared for my dinner, my oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So here we see free will, right? We see an invitation going out, and the invitation is ignored. Right? The, the, the king's got a banquet set up. It's the son's wedding. And he says, go tell the people. Go invite them. And they all just, nah. They all refused. They all denied. And they, they just walked away. So verse 7 says, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite them 
or invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now let's just keep that last verse up there. And again, these aren't coffee cup mug verses, right? You don't put this on a t-shirt. You're not going to give this to your grandma on the card. You know, this, this is some tough stuff to swallow, right? And so how do we get through this? Because we saw that there was an invitation that went out and people had the ability to deny and refuse and say, I'm not going to come. And then we see then the king saying, all right, well then go and gather people. Bring them to me. And this last verse is important. He says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So how does this all work? Well, we see the free will up front as, as he's inviting anyone that wants to come. And this is what happens with us, guys. This is what has happened to us, okay? It's called the general call. What's happened is God has given a real, true invitation to every single person who has ever walked on planet Earth and said, I love you. I want to redeem you. I made you and created you for me. Come to me. It's a true opportunity for every single person. But here's the problem. Here's the snag. Here's the trouble with that is that every single person who's ever walked the earth, because we're dead and stuck in our sins, has or would either, has or would say no to that invitation. So the invitation goes out, this general call, and God says, come to me, come to me. And because we're all dead, I mean, you guys know like what a dead person does. If you go to a gravesite tonight and you say, yo guys, come here. Like nobody's coming. They're dead. And that's the same that has happened with us. Because we were dead in our sin. We were stuck in our grave of sin and death. And so God said, come. And we all said, no. And so it's a real choice. It's a true invitation. So there's, there's free will there. And this word that you see here, where it says in uh, verse 14, he says, many are called, invited. Many, many are called, many are invited. The invitation goes out to everybody. The problem is we all say no. So, so then God does something different. God looks and he says, okay, I invited everybody. I called everybody. Nobody came. And so what he does is he goes above and beyond that general call. And he elects. And he chooses. And he says, okay, you all said no. You all had free will. And because you're dead in your sin, you all said no. And you denied the invitation. So now I'm going to look out and I'm going to say, based on my will, based on my desire, your mind, and your mind, and your mind. And I'm going to elect, and I'm going to choose some to come. And so, verse 14, where it says, many are uh, invited, but few are chosen. That word chosen literally means in the Greek, pertaining to being selected. Selected. Selected from among the rest. And so this is called the effective call. The effective call. That, that this general call goes out, we all say no, or all would say no. And so God gives the effective call, which is where he elects and he chooses and he says, you're mine, you're mine, come with me. I've purchased you, you're mine. Now, I want to say that once he does that, the free will kicks back in. The free will kicks back in here. Because now, once he's brought our hearts to life and he reveals to to us all that he is, 
Now we go, yeah, I do want you. I do want you. That was the moment, guys. I'm just telling you now. That was the moment. Like, you want to talk about backstory and all the stuff God did? The moment that you responded to him and said, yes, I want to follow. That is the moment I'm talking about now. When your free will kicked back in. Because when you choose to follow him, like that day you prayed that prayer wherever you were, that day you decided to put your faith in him, that was a real choice. You're not a robot. Somehow God enables you to be chosen and yet still make a true, real choice. Let me try and give an example of this. My son Landon, a three-year-old, um, we're in, I don't know, it's always Target. Oh, no, it's Walmart. Actually, it's both, Target and Walmart. So basically cheap stores. Um, he always decides he's going to run away from Kelly or I. And so me and Brandon, you know, Kate are there, and, or Kelly's there, and, and we're just kind of going along. All of a sudden, Landon just takes off down the aisle and so kate and and everyone goes running after him and i'm yelling landon get back here landon get back here you know i mean gets sometimes he gets really he's pretty fast for a three-year-old and and so i'm screaming yelling after him and you know what that's the general call yelling out landon come back and god's saying guys come back i uh, you you know i've created you to be in relationship with me come back and yet it's ignored and he just runs away so what happens i scoop him up and i say you're mine I don't care if you don't want me right now. You're mine. And I walk away with him. And as I'm walking away with him, and he's mad at me because I scooped him up, I start to talk to him. I start to say, Landon, you don't understand. You were running away from me. Do you know that someone could have stolen you? Do you know that some horrible person could have taken you? And daddy never would have seen you again. And in that moment, when I start to explain to him What's going on? I start to reveal the truth to him. I start to open his eyes to what's going on here. He begins to cry and he grips my neck. And he will not let go of me. And you could not pry him away from me then. Why? Because I opened his eyes to his truth. So I I gave the general call. He ignored it. So I scooped him up and said, you're mine. Come with me. And as I opened his eyes to what was going on, now he's choosing me too. And it's a real choice. He's not running away from me anymore. He's not going, I don't want you, Dad. Now he's going, I want you, Dad. Don't let me go. And that is what God has done with us. He's given us free will up front. And we've all said no. And so then he said, all right, well, then you're mine. And if you have a relationship with God, he said, you're mine. And then he says, all right, I'm going to show you who I am. And when he shows you who he is, suddenly you go, of course I want you. Of course I want a relationship with you. And you hold on to him. And that's that moment that you prayed or that you decided that you were going to put your faith in him. So it's really both. It's both. God's given us free will and yet he's elected us. And we go, well, how's that possible? And, and, and this really is a problem for Western thinkers. Like people in the East, they have no problem believing that God can both elect and give free will at the same time. And yet that's what scripture teaches. Tim Keller kind of helps us out a little bit with this. He says, this is not a true contradiction. It's an apparent contradiction. It seems like a contradiction. We just don't have the brains to figure it out. He used the example of light. He says, sometimes light acts as waves and sometimes it acts as particles. And he says, scientifically, that shouldn't happen. It's impossible It should not be, but it is. We just don't have the brains to figure out why it is. And he says that's 
what's going on here too. Is that yes, God elects and yet he gives us a choice. And it's all working together at the same time. He says, imagine your relationship with God like a door. So here we have this door over here. And instead of exit being up there, he says, imagine as you're walking toward the door of salvation, you see written above that door, John 3, 16, like we read before. You have to believe, right? You believe. And so, so as you are on this side of the doorway and you're walking toward it, you're going, I've got to do something. I've got to believe. And he says, and yet, as you get through the doorway and you look back on the other side, John 15, 16 will be written, which says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And so he says, it's the same doorway. It's just on the one side, we're thinking, okay, I've got to respond here. On the other side, we're looking back and realizing, wow, I wouldn't have responded if he hadn't first chosen me and drawn me. And so this is some deep and hard stuff. But I hope tonight you're seeing, guys, that this isn't a contradiction in Scripture, that this works together and that it can make sense. And so what I want you guys to get, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time a little bit here just kind of answering the objections that I'm guessing are in a lot of your minds tonight. I want you to know this thought. You're saved. You're saved. I mean, here's a salvation series. You're saved because God chose you and enabled you to choose him. You're saved because he chose you. That's where it starts. He chose you. But he also, he enabled you then, like my son Landon, talking sense into him, saying this is reality, this is truth, revealing the reality of the situation. Then I, he enables us also to say, yes, I'm going to truly respond to you and we make a real and true choice to follow him so it's both up front he gives us free will we all say no then he says then i'm going to select some and then at that moment we choose truly to follow him so what are the objections there's several i don't have time to do them all but i'm going to do a few wayne grudem helps us out here a lot one of the objections to election is Election means that we do not have a choice in whether we accept Christ or not. And the way he puts it is great. He says, we have a real choice along with God's predestination. It works together. You can't separate the two. That's the full counsel of Scripture. Second objection. Election means that unbelievers never had a chance to believe. That's a tough one. And this is where most people, most Christians, kind of trip up. Because, I mean, if you're a Christian, this is incredible news. Like, the reason you believe in God is because he chose you. And he awakened you. And he showed you his love. But we trip over this. And it's a good thing to trip over. We struggle with the fact that, what about all those that aren't chosen then? How's How's that right? They don't have an opportunity. And first off, I would just say to that, they did have an opportunity with that general call. That general invitation. And and like I said, all of us dead in our sins, we say no. We don't want it. Further, Scripture blames people for rejecting God's message. Right? As we look at Scripture, if you look through and you read through it, anytime there's something going on and somebody does something that's against God, it's, it's on the person. It's not on God. Martin Luther said something interesting about this. Whole idea of election and free will. He said that... When someone gets saved and goes to heaven, God gets all the glory. But when someone doesn't and they go to hell, God gets none of the blame. Because he's just. And he's right. And he's holy. And he's true. And he's pure. And so he's given opportunity. And yet up front we've denied. 
and Scripture kind of places that responsibility on us. Next one is just very simple. Election is unfair. Some of you guys are thinking that here tonight. Election's unfair. How can this be right? How can this be true if, if you know, I'm chosen and somebody's not? Well, Andy Stanley, very conveniently, tweeted something great yesterday. He said this, To dismiss Christianity because it's unfair is to assume that something must be fair to be true. I mean, just look around. We live, we live in the real world, right? Life's not fair. It's still true. I mean, I got loans I got to pay. It stinks. Not fair, right? It's true. Sometimes hard things happen. Not fair, but it's still true. Now, beyond that, I think there are some better answers. And the, the, the greatest answer is this. It would be perfectly fair if God did not save anyone. That would be fair. I mean, if you want to talk fair. It would be absolutely 100% fair for, for God to say, okay, I gave you guys the general call, and everybody said no because they were dead in their sins. So that's it. I'm wiping everybody out. That's fair. And yet he's gone above and beyond. And he said no. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And, and listen to me, guys. Please catch this. I'm going to do this at great expense to myself. He's not just saying, you know what? I'm just going to decide, okay, the people here at Collision tonight, you guys can come on in, but everybody else is out. He didn't just make a decision. He said, at great expense to myself, I am going to redeem and save those, all, those that say no. I, I, I'm going I'm to send my son. And I just want you to think about this for a second. Look, look at Jesus' perspective. You mean, when we talk about questioning fair, right? I mean, we sin, he dies. So let's talk fair for a second. How's that fair? How is that right? I think, guys, if, if we're honest, some of the stuff we've got to swallow in all this is just our own self-centeredness. Just our own thought that, you know, we as humans are the center of the universe. And the reality is, guys, we just got to get over that and begin to say, God doesn't owe us an explanation. He doesn't owe us a, well, this is why I'm doing that. I mean, he gives us that often, but that's not really due us. Anything given to us that's good is simply his grace. Last objection I'll cover tonight is this thought. And this is a great objection. It's in Second Peter. The Bible says that God wills to save everyone. I mean, the Bible flat out says that. God wills to save everyone. So how can he then choose to pass over some and not save everybody? And the answer is this. Yes, but both sides, both sides of the argument, free will election say that God desires something else more than saving everyone. He desires something else more than saving everybody. He, he wills something more than saving everybody. And you think, well, what's God doing? Like, that doesn't make sense. What's God got multiple personalities? Like, one day he's willing to save everybody, and the next he's willing to not? Well, just think about it in our own terms, right? We do this all the time. Like, I will to be a great pastor, but I will more than that to be a great dad. So there are times I'm working on a message or I'm doing something here at the church and, and five o'clock rolls around and I go, okay, maybe I could be a better pastor if I stay here another three or four hours. But more than willing to be a great pastor, I will to be a great dad. So I'm going to shut my laptop. I'm going to save this for tomorrow. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be with my kids. You do this too. You say, all right, I will to be debt free. But more than that, I will to have an education. So I'm going to spend the next 10 or 15 years paying off those debts so that I can have the education. You guys see what I'm saying? 
So we're, we can't hold God to a, a standard that we, we're not willing to hold ourselves to. God, God wills something more. And both sides would say this. If you're a free willer tonight, then you believe that God wills something more than saving everybody. And here what it, here's what it is. God desires to preserve man's totally free will more than he wills to save everyone. That's what you believe. So you believe that, yes, God wills to do it, but more than that, more important to God than saving everybody is the opportunity to preserve people's free will. The other side of that answer, the election answer, would be God desires to demonstrate his glory in both salvation and in righteous judgment more than he wills to save everyone. So both sides of that, both parties have to realize that their argument would say that God wills something more than the salvation of everybody. For free willers, it's that they keep their free will. For electioners, it's that God desires to show all of who he is, both in mercy and in justice. Another objection I actually don't have on the screen is, well then, what about people that haven't come to know Jesus? I've been praying them for a long time. They haven't come to know God. Does that just mean that they're not? We never give up. We, we don't know. We never give up. It could, it, I mean, you think of the thief on the cross died in his last hour, right? You never know. You never know. You keep going. You keep crying out. My grandfather was a Jehovah's Witness for almost all of his life and got saved right before he died. You never know. So this is not, oh, well, let's just give up on everybody that's not a Christian. This is also not, well, I guess I don't have to preach then. Because if God elects, then they're just going to come to know him, right? No, because you're the person that he's going to use to bring them to truth. Like if I say, yo guys, I need the stage set up tonight. I tell, I tell the band, get the stage set up. And I say, okay, you're the ones I'm choosing to do this. It's my will that this stage gets set up. It's going to happen. And yet they're the instruments to carry it. Scripture tells us we are the instruments. The only way people come to know God is through the preaching of his word. So this is not, let's just all sit back and, and just, we'll just watch TV all day. Then who cares, man? Why should I witness to my neighbors? Why should I be a missionary and go give my life? Because you're the tool that God wants to use. Somebody actually, J.I. Packer wrote a whole book on that, on how just because there's election doesn't mean that missions is over, that it's the most important thing in the world because God's chosen you to deliver that message to many. And so this is tough stuff. It's not easy for me to come to these conclusions. It's not easy for me to even say this message. It's hard. It's difficult stuff to think about. It's deep stuff. It's heady stuff. It's, it's hard to understand even just on a communication level, much less like a me and God level. And so how do we respond? Well, what's the point of all this? What's the purpose of all this? I think the best place to look to close out the message here is Romans chapter 9. And then we see God's heart and purpose for all this. Verse 10 God just kind of gives some examples here. He says, Rebecca's children had one and the same father. So he's just giving this example of these people in history. Our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad. And look what it says. In order that God's purpose in election might stand. And this word election here is in the Greek means making a selection from a group of people. Verse 12 says, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is, it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. When then shall we say, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, this is so important, verse 16, it does not therefore depend on man's desire 
or effort. I mean, that's belief, that's praying, that's trusting with your, you know, your emotion and your will and your life, right? None of that is what's the qualifier here. But it's all God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And verse 23 sums it up. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Just leave that verse 23 up for a second. You guys are asking, why? why? Why would he do this? Why? I mean, this just seems so hard. It seems so hard to swallow. Why, why all this? Guys, the answer is, he did it for you. He did it to show the riches of his glory. He did it for your enjoyment. He did it for you to know him and to see him for all that he is, both just and merciful. And so tonight, I think the response to this is to go, oh my gosh. You mean I have faith in Jesus tonight because he chose me? And yes, he enabled me to choose him too. And so, yes, I, I do have a free will and doesn't completely contradict everything else Scripture says. But yet, the basis of all this, I mean, the starting point for my salvation is that he chose me. Like, the reason I get it and the guy, you know, I sit next to at school tomorrow doesn't is because he chose me out of his mercy, out of his grace. Not because I'm good or better or better looking or funnier or more talented or more righteous. But because he chose me. And I think like my kids who kind of get a little arrogant sometimes, kind of getting a little bit out of line sometimes and feeling entitled, not appreciating all that went in to their coming to life. I think for us, for you and I, it begins to show us, wow, that's what God did. Because sometimes I get real arrogant and I start to think I'm all that and I, I got everything together and what a great Christian I am and what an awesome church we have and what a great leader I am. And then, and then I remember, Doug, nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you, man. It's just simply because of my mercy. And so tonight, I hope you realize, guys, that if you believe in him, it's because he chose you and he enabled you to choose him. And I hope also that if you'd say, Doug, this sounds like a pile of garbage to me. I hope that you'll search through the scriptures yourself. And I hope that you'll hang in there with us because I'm not going to cram this stuff down your throat every week. This isn't something I feel like I have to get every person in the room to believe like I believe. This is not a clincher issue. But I do believe it is what scripture teaches. And so I would just say to you, if you disagree, let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's work through it and search the scriptures. Look for yourself. Don't let philosophy determine your view. Let scripture 
determine your view. And ultimately, then rejoice. If you come to the determination that he saved you because of his mercy alone, then you just, all that more, you ought to be a worshiper. You, you ought to be someone who is saying, whatever you have then, God. You ought to be more and more submitted to him and in love with this God who's treated you in such an amazing way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for what you have done. We thank you that there's so much behind the scenes that we don't get and we don't understand. And we thank you for your word, God, which helps us to understand a little bit. And we admit, I admit tonight, God, that I don't know everything and that it's hard to understand stuff sometimes. It's hard to understand the way you do things, Lord. But yet we just trust and we submit and we surrender and we say, God, you're an awesome God. And we can even say tonight that whether we have all people who believe in election tonight or we have a split down the middle, that we're all, we're all yours and that we love you and want to worship you tonight. And I pray that you will keep us unified and moving together as a team. And so thank you for this, God. If you're not a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him tonight. If there's anything in you that feels drawn to God tonight, that feels drawn to what Jesus did for you on the cross, then it's because God is drawing you. He's opening your eyes to who he is. And you're maybe about to make a real choice, a true decision to put your faith in him as he shows you who he is. And so if that's you tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to begin that conversation with him. And you can just pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you for taking my punishment. And thank you for the gift of salvation. And I'll be with you for eternity. Your name.